Let's hit it. We are recording, we're recording in the hangar. This is our new intro song. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. You know what that reminds me of? Blues Clues. I don't know Blues Clues. Happened before my kids' time. Happened after your kids' time. No, that's what I meant. After my kids' time. <laughs> I, I thankfully, I missed the Blues Clues train and I missed the the Bob the Builder train and I missed the, um, what's that other one that's really popular? Dora the Explorer? No, we watched Dora the Explorer. We didn't watch Backpack, that. backpack. And um, there is a line from Dora the Explorer that I I like that you put the little up. I call it Dora the Explorer. Dora the Explorer. I saw um, from New York. Something about a monkey from Long Island. About something. And I I um, the worst children's show of all time. Oh, Caillou. Do you know that show? Yeah, I never watched it though. My kids. It is excruciating. My kids got into Blues Blues Clues Blues Clues. Yeah. Oh, I was and really close. Maybe I had that like yeah. buried deep in the races in my mind. And I guess like one of the main guys or the only guy, the only human affiliated, walked off one day. And just yeah, left. he was like a mouth. Yeah, God bless him too. We watched he that, did that crap Sesame for Street. a long time, right? He's wearing that really, really nerdy polo, and he's just like <laughs> dancing around with like an imaginary yeah. dog or whatever. It's a dog, I, right? I, yeah. And there was a mag- oh, in magenta. Also, he made a lot of money, didn't he? I don't know. How, how much do those people make? I don't know. I think they make a fair amount. And then we watch Oh, My Little Pony. And then our friend Juice, which you all know, he made it a point to memorize all the ponies. That's very, very impressive of and him. And then he wanted to, he always asked, like, how's Rainbow Dash doing? <laughs> how's, how's That's the only one Shutterfly. I know Shutterfly. My kids love that. No, not that. Shutterfly. I think I made that right up. Shutterfly is a photo company. But, but Rainbow Dash is correct. Rainbow Dash is correct. I don't know the other ones. But my kids loved My Little Pony, too. Bougie Bouge. Not <laughs> one. There was one who was Bougie Bouge. She was purple. Uh, I can't remember. Of anyway. course she was purple. That's my favorite color. <laughs> Obviously, she was purple. And she was the fashion. Uh-huh. She was the fashion one. She was you. <laughs> Twilight Sprinkle. Stinks. Wait, am I bougie? No, you're not. Well, I'm a little bit. You're not bougie on the outside, but definitely on the inside. <laughs> 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 True words have never been spoken. <laughs> By the way, welcome to Not Only But Also. <laughs> I'm Nicole. And I am finally. Finally! Say it! Say <laughs> it! Ah, Dr. Renee Radica Bahati! <laughs> Actually, Doctor, officially, Renee has graduated. No, I haven't graduated yet. I'm sorry, Renee has defended her dissertation. Um, which I got to hear with some other people and was really, really good. Thank you. You were excellent. I mean, thank you. As everyone said, they would expect nothing less. Her chair and her committee raved about her and had so much praise to speak over her, and all of it was true. And it was really. So she's officially, you're officially a doctor. I am, and I graduate in May, so that's when it's like official, official. But it's, there's nothing more for me to do. Yeah, you're done. You did it. You done the did only it. thing I've got left is stay alive until May 9th. What I said to you way back, but it still rings true. Um, I feel like that went by really fast. <laughs> it really did. But I wasn't the one getting my doctorate. No, it really did. It went by really fast. I can't even – I know that the pandemic or the – oh, it became yesterday a quadruple pandemic, but I can't remember what number four was. 
Um, oh, stupidity, I think is number four. <laughs> but um, the triple pandemic of uh, COVID-19, racism, polemics, all fueled by politics. And then the fourth one, I think, is just utter and sheer stupidity. stupidity. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I really have a lot of thanks to this pandemic because it gave me more capacity because I didn't have yeah. to be sh- shuttling around everywhere. The world stopping down gave me like five hours back in my it's day. It's pretty amazing, actually. So that five hours I used. Also, like God just foreknew, even though as horrible as it all was, he knew that when you were going to be pursuing your doctorate, you'd have this hidden time built in that you wouldn't have had otherwise. I know. Which is pretty amazing. And I'm so thankful for it. And I get to work from home full time now. There's all sorts of noises. And we are in Nicole's brand new house. We're actually in her bunker. We're calling it the hangar. But there's all sorts of squeaks. and Yeah, it's a little squeaky because it's windy out right now. I'm sure Evan, not mice, are our they? fancy producer, will edit out the squeaks. No, it's just the... It's just if the, mice like, start dropping on me, I'm there's out. There's no mice. I'm out. You're gonna host. We're this in thing a big RV garage that's like set up like it's amazing, cool hangout space. You know, it's super for cool. my kids, but we're using it. Um, no, that's just like the wind. What are those things called at the top of the roof? You know, weather vanes. No, not a weather vane, but for whatever. Yeah, it's just a little squeaky. It gives it some character. That's all. That's true. So you think that we're all lighthearted and breezy easy today. But you our thing, but we're t- <laughs> but in true Nova fashion, <laughs> we're like, let's just bite off and chew a nice big old juicy topic. Yeah, because Renee, you know, needs to use her brain even more this week. Yeah, and I don't know why I pitched this idea. Nicole pitched like, it. It's her fault. I pitched it, and I was like, let's talk about whiteness and colorism. And I agree. You agreed. So here we are. That said, too, maybe we won't really. Maybe we won't, we won't have much to say. In in lighter news, haha, that's a pun that I didn't really want to use. <laughs> there is a Keanu Reeves trivia night. And we're going to. And we're going to. We're doing a double date. And I don't know what kind of graduation gift God was planning, but this is certainly <laughs> it. Jonathan saw it and then immediately was like, Renee has to go. We have to go to the Keanu trivia night. Yeah, but I've been sending a fact a day and I forgot to send the fact today. Yeah, you got to send the fact of the day of Keanu today. You can't break the streak. I know. Oh, shoot. It's really important because Jonathan's countering every fact of the day with a Keanu photo or meme of the day. Yes. And I'm not looking up these facts, people. I've got these These facts right here. Straight from the brain. Straight from the brain hole where Renee is stored. Doctoral information and Keanu Reeves facts. I was just going to say, I defended my dissertation last week. Ask me anything about it, probably couldn't tell you. Ask me pretty much anything prior to 2000 about Keanu Reeves, I'll tell you. You could tell us. Post-2000, I got off the train, but I know a little bit. It's very funny. I, I I really appreciate that you have such a deep, true crush on... God, I just and I really just admire the guy. Yeah. He's so likable, so likable, and that face isn't so bad either. It's true. I mean, he's had some work done now, but whatever. He's fifty-seven. I know, and a half, and a half. He'll be fifty-seven and a half on April second. Oh my gosh! Here we go. <laughs> this episode is now going to just turn into a Keanu Reeves fact show. 
So people would think that Keanu, white, Keanu Reeves is white presenting, but in fact, he is a half Asian man. He yeah, I did know that. Chinese Hawaiian yeah. and then British Chinese Hawaiian on his dad's side. This is the fact that I gave yesterday. So on our thread and then it British on his mom's side. So he actually is technically, is he technically, okay. So are you considered a person of color if you don't present as a person of color? I mean, I don't present as a person of color and I consider myself a person of color. Yeah, so Keanu Reeves is a person of color, which makes him even more likely. And I mean, the opinion. government considers me a person of color. <laughs> That's true. So, so if, <laughs> if the U.S. Census... The U.S. Census considers me a person of color. Um, I mean, this U.S. Census has, like, multi-ethnic on there now or whatever, but I don't... Which is another conversation that maybe we'll get into tonight. I've never identified as multi-ethnic or... Even though technically I am... But actually, technically, so are most of us. Yeah. Including most white people are quote unquote multi ethnic, but they, no one refer, they don't refer to themselves as that. Yeah. So I don't refer to myself as multi ethnic just because of growing up, I was, it was always like, you have a black parent, you have a white parent. When for most people that are, have a white parent and a black parent, no, I'm not speaking for everyone. Most, you just say you're mixed or you're biracial not multi-ethnic or multi-racial. Yes, and we don't use the M term anymore because it's quite disparaging. Yeah. And I, I think most of you probably know what that means, uh, what I'm referring to. Are you talking about mulatto? Mulatto, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can, I don't, I don't mind saying it. It's not like on the level of like the N word or something. Actually, when I was growing up, I said that word, I used that word more often-ish. And I do know some other people who are mixed who still use that word. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting thing. I mean, I guess it's not any different than the N-word in that you're using it to reclaim its – to take away the power of sure. it and the stigma of it. It's like the P-word. Because it is um, – yeah, it's a um, – a mulatto is from the – it's the derived from a mule. Mm -hmm. It means mule, which is, you know, it's a crossbreed. A horse and a donkey make a mule. So you would call a mixed person a mule. They're a crossbreed. That's where it comes from. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not the most polite thing. And no. the, I think, I don't know if I've said this here before, but I think when you say the white and the black, you know, and ethnicity and parsing all of that out and remembering what it all is. So race is a construct and it was developed in order to understand people groups or to separate people groups right. in order to the us and them. We'll talk about whiteness in a minute, but white, black, Asian, um, Native American, Latino, Latino, all of those are considered races. Mm -hmm. And then we have uh, nationalities, and that's actually the country to which you have citizenship. Right. That's your nationality. You can have multinationality, multi, yeah, multinationalities, or you can have a singular one. I have a singular one. Uh, I think everybody in this room just has a singular nationality. And then you have ethnicities. And ethnicities are very few people have a singular ethnicity. Right. Greg's mom actually is 100% Italian. Mm -hmm. She has one ethnicity. Yeah, it's pretty rare anymore. Nicole and I have multiple ethnicities. Evan? I'm not sure. He's not sure uh, how many ethnicities, but probably. So, I mean, if you're British, Scottish, and Irish, that's several yeah. ethnicities right, right there, even though they're all kind of part of you know, a same region, a region. So th I think that is really good to, yeah, that's helpful. Kind of remember that. But why did you want to have this conversation? I don't actually know. Some one was something, a couple of things were brought up 
that just like got my mind thinking about some of this idea. Actually, um, oh, one thing that came up that kind of kicked off my thinking about it was um, our friend, our fellow friend, Erin, who I don't know if she listens, but um, I think she does. Maybe. I don't know. But the NFL, I posted something about the NFL a, like a few weeks ago on Instagram in my stories because um, this has like been a long standing history with the NFL. They've had, they've historically had such a bad track record of promoting diversity within their leadership, specifically coaches. And I, um, I was, I posted something about, you know, in a sport like the NFL where you have uh, majority black athletes, it's like 57% of the athletes are black. Um, and they have one black coach in all of the NFL. In all of the NFL. Now that's because a couple of just resigned and a couple did just resign in direct response to the lack of diversity and the lack of representation of black coaches and Latino coaches. But there's a fair amount of Latino um, players as well. I don't know the number on that. But anyway, I had posted that and was just saying, you know, why does that, why is that? I mean, for those naysayers who say, well, systemic racism isn't a thing or, you know, that's not happening or it's like, well, how can you have a sport that's dominated by black players, um, but they're not represented in coaching? Those are the questions I want people to start asking. Like, why is that? Why mm. is that happening? So our friend Aaron messaged me a response to what I had posted. And um, she's white and her husband is black. Um, he's actually Nigerian, um, ethnically. But um, so they have four kids. And so their kids are biracial. And she, she was saying to me, she said, you know, it's really interesting because the coach who – um, I was referring to who's like kind of taking on the fight with the NFL. Um, I have to remember his name. It's um, it's it going to bother me. Brian Flores. He is being called not black enough because I think he's multiracial, or maybe he, I think he might have some Latino in him. So people are then saying he's not black enough. You know, he's are bl- black people or white people saying this? Uh, both. But primarily black people, <laughs> which gets us into the colorism conversation, um, that, you know, he even though he's black presenting, like he, for all intents and purposes, he looks like a black man. He is a black man. So um, I was just sharing with her how frustrating and hurtful that is and how it hurts, like, it hurts this overall cause. Like, this man's being brave going up against the NFL, this huge organization with millions and millions of dollars to do something that he feels strongly about in representing other people of color. And then people in his own racial group are telling him he's not quote unquote black enough. And what I was saying to her was it's so harmful, but also part of the colorism that exists within the black community. And this is a whole like another long conversation, which I know we'll just touch on some tonight, but it's very interesting to me that it has always felt to me that the black community can claim you when they want to claim you, Mm -hmm. but then they can, they can not claim you when they don't want to claim you either. So then you have people like, you know, Barack Obama, Alicia Keys, Drake. Mariah Carey. Yeah. She, yeah, she has a black parent, or she's like a black and Latino parent. Um, you know, Halle Berry. These are people who are all mixed. 
but they're claimed by the black community went because they're black enough, quote unquote. You know, then you have also people like Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington, like they were both biracial. They've had a white parent, mm-hmm. white fathers, and enslaved mothers. So, but in that, right, in that time period, they were only considered black and could only be considered black because of legal reasons, of course. And it gets so complicated. Then it's like, oh, well, if you're not acting a certain way or you're not serving the purpose that we deem, then we disown you. Or we call you, or we say you're not black enough or you're too white. Right? It's very complicated. And, and it it's feels very arbitrary. It's arbitrary. And it's very frustrating. But it's also, a lot of times, colorism plays into that. And I guess we should define colorism, too, because... Yeah, I can do that. I have a definition right now. I'm going to define it. Uh-huh. Should I define whiteness yeah, you first have it. or colorism Yeah, yeah, but let's do both. Let's have so definition corner. Let's, and the whiteness I have is, it's a little bit longer, so hear me out here. It's from the National Museum of African American History and Culture, but I love it and because it gives a little bit of context too. So it's, yeah. whiteness and white racialized identity refer to the way that white people, their customs, culture, and beliefs operate as the standard by which all other groups are compared. Mm. Whiteness is also at the core of understanding race in America. Whiteness and the normalization of white racial identity throughout America's history have created a culture where non-white persons are seen as inferior or abnormal. Mm. This white dominant culture also operates as a social mechanism that grants advantages to white people since they can navigate society both by feeling normal and by being viewed as normal. Mm -hmm. Persons who identify as white rarely have to think about their racial identity because they live within a culture where whiteness has been normalized. Mm -hmm. Thinking about race is very different for non-white persons living in America. Oh my gosh, my phone is not working. People of color must always consider their racial identity whatever the situation, due to the systemic and interpersonal racism that still exists. So that was the definition of whiteness from the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Mm -hmm. Now, white supremacy, as defined by Singh, is when somebody, uh, you are judged as superior based on biological traits, and you view people based on their biological traits traits. Mm -hmm. as inferior. Mm -hmm. Then we have Colorism. And this is from uh, Trina Jones from her 2001 book called Shades of Brown, The Law of Skin Color. And that's from the Duke Law Journal. And the definition here of colorism is discrimination based on skin color, also known as colorism or shadeism, is a form of prejudice and or discrimination in which people who share similar ethnicity traits or perceived race are treated differently based on the social implications that come with the cultural meanings that are attached <laughs> to skin color. I love that definition. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so like... It's very specific. Think about what so you're doing, people, you're because doing. it's right. really, right. really shady. And it's very... Ha <laughs> shady! Like, it's... That definition hits all the marks also because it's very clear. It's not calling it racism because racism isn't, you know, people have different definitions. I believe it's the system, right, under which... Uh, I don't think a person of color can be quote unquote racist. That's a separate conversation. But can a people of color be, can people of color discriminate? 100%. 
and it's very clearly states dis- it's discrimination or prejudice and that happens within people of color groups all the time where certain people's traits skin color for example or type of hair for example is considered better mm-hmm. or prettier or more desirable or more yeah. desirable um within that racial group and this happens all the time throughout all the many time. many cultures all so many and cultures that still uh use arranged marriage a mm-hmm. lot of times mm-hmm. and look you can watch on netflix it's called Arranged marriage. It's called Indian matchmaking. Oh, yeah. The Indian matchmaking. That's I haven't watched called. it, but I've seen it. And the it's thing. that some of that is arranged marriage, yeah. some of it is not. But with the arranged marriage, they very much take a look, not just at facial features and skin color and tallness. Tallness is also uh-huh. revered, but then also income and right, education right, right. and all of those kinds of things. Um, but all of that factors into whether so or not you can be desirable. And I know that also happens in many, many cultures beyond India. So, listen, the black community has a very, has a real problem with colorism. It's still very much alive. Um, I think I've seen certain aspects have gotten better over the last many years, Um, particularly like maybe around like natural hair movement, right? Like black women wearing their natural hair proudly and um and raising their daughters and sons to wear their natural hair that is a real that when people if you know for a person who doesn't know like looking from the outside into that that is health that's moving towards healing because i think i had said to you a few weeks back when this had kind of come up colorism is a product of trauma yeah and it's rooted in um colonialism they're especially like in America, like black community in America, like there's there's no reason lighter skinned black women should be perceived as more beautiful, except that you trace it to the the, the trauma that's been, you know, baked into our lives over 500 years that whiteness is better yeah. and that whiteness is more beautiful and so then in the spectrum of black women's skin, lighter skin is considered more desirable. That is fundamentally rooted in the trauma of being told for hundreds of years that whiteness is better. Yes. And to that point, that if trauma is rooted in colorism, then I think whiteness is rooted in power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you use whiteness to, to, when you wield whiteness, because there's nothing wrong with being white. There's nothing, you can't help it. That's bio- biology. And nobody is coming against whiteness. Nobody is, nobody is coming against white people. Yeah. Coming against whiteness is very, very different than coming against white people. And I want to make it very clear here that, that whiteness upholds a power differential, which mm-hmm. says that by our inherent whiteness, mm-hmm. we are more or we are more powerful, mm-hmm. and you can see this manifested in history, yeah. which in which white people even now are trying to take back their jobs, right, or push against the immigrant, 
why why do they feel like immigration is dangerous? Why do they feel like Barack Obama is dangerous? Why do they feel that anything is dangerous? It's because that danger mm-hmm. impacts their power. power. That's right. It directly. Well, they perceive it to impact sure. their power. It's not that it actually does, but the, this is, it's, it's rooted in a fear, and fear isn't rational. Yeah, it's... But you're right. I totally, yeah. I love what you're saying. It's, it is ultimately at the end of the day, it's a power grab. It's a, it's scratching and clawing to quote unquote maintain power. Yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, when you talk about jobs being quote unquote taken, mm-hmm. well, who, who's just who's taking, taking jobs? <laughs> right. Are you going to do those jobs? Yeah. Cause I don't see you going after Listen, that job. That conversation always, even as a kid, I was always like, understand why people are so mad that Mexican men want to like, you know, take this job at this restaurant. Cause I, even as a child, I thought they don't want to do that job. I know they don't want to do that job. And here's a whole group of really hardworking people who they'll take that job and they'll do that job and they'll do it really and they'll well. do it really well for so, nothing. Right. So it's, it was always confusing to me. I always thought it's it super confusing. It doesn't even line up. Whiteness doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and it, I will say, I read, I don't remember the guy who says this, but whiteness is, we know it's not, it's not biology, but it's an, he says it's not biology, it's an ideology, correct. right? So it's, um, and I think, I know we've talked, I know on other episodes we have talked about some of this. So some of this is like not totally brand new, but I know it can feel, or I, I'm sure it can feel very um, uncomfortable, mm-hmm. like as a white person thinking about that as an ide- ideology. When it's very interesting because even in the definition you read, it's it's not an ideology that most white people have to actually consider mm-hmm. or even think about. They can just move through their life with that intact for them. That mm-hmm. ideology is just part of how they view the world. I mean, it's a worldview, right? fundamentally and you don't very often have to stop and consider it Mm -mm. or think about it um, which is part of its power which is part of its power which is also one of the reasons when we were talking before and recording this episode we you and i were on the phone and we were talking about just different ways that it's just everyday life of whiteness that it's in everything and sometimes when you just if you can just step back mm-hmm. and actually like pause to consider and even literally like count like i have days sometimes where i i don't even mean to i just i think i just do it because i'm aware and it's kind of just running like subconsciously in my mind like i'll watch a show and i'll just i can i'm counting how many people of color there are mm-hmm. or I'm you know seeing a billboard or an advertisement for something and I'm noticing how many people of color are in that yeah. picture because that stands out to me because it I don't see it enough and I don't see it as much because whiteness is really still the standard yeah, yeah. and I like how you talk about ease And I think about it this, because being white in the United States and in many other countries, which we can talk about in a minute, um, is considered a privilege. Mm -hmm. And so is wealth. 
Yeah. And think about the ease with which people who have a lot of money walk through the world. Yeah. If something breaks, call the plumber. Right. Or if your toilet breaks, call the plumber. They don't call the plumber if your clock breaks. Right. Um, But, and your clock breaks, oh, just buy a new one. Mm -hmm. If... If anything happens, you want to go, oh, I need a break. All right, let's take a break. Yeah, money is convenience. Let's go. Right. And, and, or if you get sick. Mm-hmm. You can take off work. It doesn't affect you can your, take off work. you can pay you your can, rent still you or your mortgage. really good right. access to whatever you need. Right, healthcare. And you go to the doctor. It is too. just this ease with which you can walk through the world. Yeah. And it is enviable. Yeah. Because it, it takes off a complete, a whole layer of mm-hmm. pressure, mm-hmm. a whole layer of consideration a whole layer of having to like writhe and wrangle through a solution. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's sometimes what whiteness can offer people is just it's access. Ease. It's access. ease. Yeah. I don't even have to think about this. Right. I don't have to think about how I behave. I don't have to think about what I do, mm-hmm. or who I am, my name. I don't have to think about any of that. Mm-hmm. I just am. Mm-hmm. It's easy. I, th- I think that's one of the most sinister parts of it. And then when we don't recognize it, that's when it becomes harmful. Yeah. So there was a Jerry Seinfeld situation. I don't even know when it happened. Somebody sent it to me. And typically I actually really enjoy Jerry Seinfeld. And I think he's a funny guy. And he's Jewish. And I actually consider Jewish people people, people of color. So do I. I do believe people, of, uh, people who are Middle Eastern are people of color, although they are deemed Caucasian. Um and sorry, there's something in my eye. But um, but Jerry Seinfeld, he he has comedians in cars getting coffee. Yeah. Is that right? Uh-huh. I've, there's a lot of words in it. But the first season was all white men. Mm-hmm. He interviews a bunch of people. They're actually fantastic. Short yeah. little 15, 20-minute episodes. They're great. So he got pushed back on yeah. that. And so he's doing this interview on this stage, I don't know, within the last two, three years, I guess. And the interviewer brings this up. Yeah. And Jerry Seinfeld's like, let's talk about this. Right. And he's like, you know what? I don't care whatever white this. I like funny. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and people are applauding it. Yeah, Jerry. But I'm like, what you're actually upholding is what Hammer 2012 right. calls. It's, it's one of, one of two mindsets. It's called the Intercultural Development Inventory, the IDI. And there are five mindsets you, you can walk through. The first three are indicative of closed mindsets. Mm-hmm. The second two are indicative of open-minded, globalized, or as I would say, culturally intelligent mindsets. Right. The first is denial, mm-hmm. in which you say, look, I don't even want to talk about the thing that's the problem. Right. Because if we didn't talk about it, it right. wouldn't be a problem. Right. So sexism wouldn't be an issue if people would just shut the stop hell up about, about it. it. Right. Why Same thing about with race racism. So much, just stop talking about so it. So that's denial. Right. And it makes people feel ignored. Yeah. Then you have polarization, which I'm going to skip over for now. You can look all of this up on the internet. And then we have minimization. And minimization is when you seek to find out what is the same in all of right. this. Because difference is you feel like looking at difference is actually unkind. Uh-huh. And so we find what humanizes right. all of us. But that makes people feel overlooked. That's right. And that's what we're, so do we want that? And then the final stage is um, adaptation, which allows people to feel valued. Mm-hmm. And that is saying, I acknowledge you for all of your social identities. Yeah. One might be more present in any given situation. Mm-hmm. Like right now, our color is present in a different conversation. Our gender might be present. Yeah. But, um, and in another, our faith. 
So all of those represent different social identities. But I like this continuum because it allows us to recognize where we are. And the majority of people are in minimization. minimization. Because yeah. we were told that that's, look at what. I don't know where Jerry Seinfeld, I need to think about the levels. I think it's it's a little bit denial and mm -hmm. minimization. But this idea, well, I guess it's minimization because I just see funny. Well, colorblindness falls under minimization. Yeah. And he's definitely, his generation is a product of, you know, I was raised to be colorblind. Isn't that what Martin Luther King Jr. said in the I Have a Dream speech? Actually, that's not what he said. It is not. Um, what did he at say? At all. Um, he said, I have a dream for for my, you know, daughter to, or to grow up and not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character or the quality is, of their character. Something which is like not that. to say the one is dismissed. 100%. That's not what that sentence says at all. And if people actually listen to the entire speech, he's very, very clear about a lot more specifics on race. Yes. Um, people just like to pull that one out, just like they like to pull out verses out of the Bible and misquote them and not speak them in context. Yeah. So it's minimization, colorblindness is definitely minimization. And so it's tricky, though, because as you're even sharing that, him saying that, I see funny and people applauding. That minimization can be so nuanced, yeah, and it can feel like you're actually doing the right thing mm -hmm. and saying the right yeah. thing because you're like, well, I'm just propping up and promoting this 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 idea of unity. It's like a false promotion of unity, yeah, and so it can be very tricky to sniff out, but it is harmful, like you're saying. It does it creates people feel overlooked, and it also is sweeping under the rug the actual issue mm -hmm. and the actual issue was you create an entire season of show with not one black comedian yeah that's the actual issue that is or women i don't think or we're women the, no, i don't know i can't no, definitely I can't, no women. i don't I remember don't if women season. were in the first season. tina fey may have been up in there mm -hmm. um i don't remember and look it's a show and i'll probably continue watching it but i'm doing it with more of a critical eye and i was even you know at a dinner the other day where somebody mentioned somebody who had um, a name that I thought, I thought it was an amazing name. I'm not even going to mention it here. And I said, oh, and I said, what color? And I was talking to a child. Yeah. And I said, what color is this person's skin? And somebody else said, what does it matter? And I said, it matters. Yeah. It matters because it's part of this person's identity. Right. And awesome. the person pushed back and said, well, I don't think it matters. And I said, well, I do because who we are and all of those different identities that we bring with us mm -hmm. Make us, make us who we become and how we see the world and how people view us. Right. And I'm just curious. And I don't know. Was that a right or wrong question that I asked based on the name? I was curious. I was talking to a child. I like it. And, I like that you asked that. And I want my ch – well, this was one of my children. And I want my children to be able to recognize that how whatever your identity might be, it's important for us to recognize those. Mm -hmm. and, and then we come into – uh, I'm not going to talk about intersectionality here, but multiple identities interacting to achieve power, that's intersectionality in a very grotesque. Not grotesque. Like, but not grotesque, short. but like short. Um, if you're interested in learning about that, Kimberly Crenshaw is your person. Um, but it's, I mean, even the, that, like that anecdote shows the discomfort of, you know, another person being like, I assume the other person was white. Okay. Who said, why do you need to know that? Because I can pretty much guarantee a person of color, I mean, I can't speak for every person of color, but the people that I know wouldn't be in the room and be like, why do you need to know that? They would accept that as an acceptable question because they automatically know that that has something to do with the ethnicity of this person and their their 
experience. Yeah. I hope those are firecrackers. I hope those are firecrackers too. Um, and, but for a, for a, a white person to ask that because it's, it automatically generates a discomfort. Yes. I think we've talked about this in other episodes, but it's, why do you, what do you think? I mean, the discomfort, what kicks up that discomfort? Like, why is it so uncomfortable? I mean, I know it's whiteness because we're talking about holding on to power, but like in that specific situation, are they trying to hold on to power? Is it just fear of the unknown? Is it, is it, it's a, it's a topic that they feel uncomfortable talking about because they don't know how to navigate questions and conversation around skin color? Like what kicks, what does that kick up in people? Do you think? I, I think it kicks up. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure this out. It kicks up this distaste. Like, why do we have to make it about this? Race. It's the why, constant, like, why are we talking about race again? Why or, are we talking or, about race again? Yes, or any of those things that are the isms that we want to talk about that really do right. create a lot of dissatisfaction. It's okay. Even as we're saying this, it's, it's even what we were leading with. If you're white, you generally don't have to think about race. Correct. So to you, it could feel very exhausting, draining, yeah. annoying, aggravating, mm -hmm. irritating because you don't have to think about it. Yeah. So you go through life not having to ask those questions and not having to worry about it. So when you hear someone else talking about it, it's irritating. And – did I cut you off? No. Go ahead. I really <laughs> – I don't know if I'm right on this. I don't know if I'm right about a lot of things, but I want to say that a big part of whiteness being uncomfortable with talking about non-whiteness mm -hmm. and pre presenting non-whiteness is because it defeats the, the, in my opinion, sinister notion of meritocracy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. there's this guy, Jordan Peterson. He was out of... University of Toronto, some place out of Toronto, professor, tenured, white guy, smart, articulate, a whole bit, and articulate with a Canadian accent, you know, just charming, good looking, yeah. in my opinion. Good looking. And oh, I mean, attractiveness um, is a whole nother thing. All too. of this. And successful. Mm -hmm. And he decides to leave his tenured position because of what he calls, not DEI, but DIE. Uh -huh. And he says uh -huh. that with the onslaught of diversity, equity, inclusion, and of course he changes the acronym in order to uphold his argument, which has so many holes. You can Google it and you can read his whole missive. His missive was so bathed in whiteness and supremacy and meritocracy that I was like, this is, it was just ironic to me that right. the very thing that he was using as, as a in, platform yeah. to defend what he was doing right. he was, was actually was using. poking holes in the fact uh -huh. that, okay, well, the very thing that you're coming against is the very thing that you're upholding. Right. He's so – that's the thing. When the glasses are on your face, you know, you don't even know that you're wearing them. I know. He didn't even recognize he's swimming in the pool. Yeah. And he – one of his points of many was – a lot of times, whiteness can also be exhaustive mm -hmm. when it comes to how much it likes to talk. But in one of his many points is <laughs> the meritocracy thing, that now we're no longer looking at who's qualified. Right. We're looking at what their skin color is. And I'm like, that is so 
unfair uh-huh. of you because uh-huh. before we, we we weren't even looking at qualifications uh-huh. before we were looking first at whiteness Correct. and then we were and looking we were at looking qualifications. qualifications and now we're looking at quality qualifications and we're factoring in that's right the ethnicity of the person in order to make sure that there is more fairness also if i didn't know better i would say it smacks a little bit of they're coming to get our jobs correct but he got to quit his because of That's his right. privilege. But that that framing it and, and using his fancy language and, you know, relying on his whatever, his PhD. But then saying, well, whenever people bring up like uh, college applications or job applications or any of this stuff, it really, this still the, the underlying fear is they're going to get, they're going to take our jobs. Yeah. They, the non-white people. Yeah. Because God forbid we actually look at qualifications. Because if we actually just looked at qualifications, then there would be more people of color in those mm. jobs. <gasps> yeah. What would what would that look like? Look, if a person of color is hired to take Jordan Peterson's job, I salute you, <laughs> University of Toronto yeah, or whatever be, university you have, because be that would be amazing. Amazing. He I'm, let go of his job. Good. Let him go. And, Goodbye. And he's gonna be fine. Goodbye. But I, that kind of thing. I mean, and I've been kind of pondering. Or I haven't had a whole lot of time to think about Jordan Peterson and Jerry no, Seinfeld. you've been getting your doctorate. But I, I, these things have come up. And the big elephant in the room is freaking Ukraine. I so know. right now, the people of Ukraine are being absolutely, and the country of Ukraine is being absolutely demolished by a dictator named Putin, Putin, um, Putin, who Putin. is, um, Putin who is coming against um, this country, why, for power. But what's happening is as people in Ukraine are fleeing to neighboring countries, such as Poland, uh, one example, what they're finding out is as people board trains and as people try to find shelter in mm-hmm. other countries, it are it's white people, white presenting people, yep. who are actually being given preference. Yep. And then Africans and also Asians, specifically from India, are not being allowed the same advantages. Yeah. So I don't even want to situate whiteness as an American or an, a U.S. bred problem or yeah. a North American problem because Jordan Peterson's in Canada. It is an international issue. It's an international issue. Absolutely. And, okay, but what's the elephant in the room in, in terms of this conversation and Ukraine? I mean, we were talking about it before. I mean, there's a lot. Well, one of the things, like, I was even sharing with Evan before we started recording was, you know, last year, um, Afghanistan was invaded. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were already essentially there rooted. And before that, Iraq. The Taliban. But, um, right. And were essentially taken over by an evil regime um and you know i mean we heard about afghanistan for a couple of weeks maybe but i think the level of posts and shares and pray fors that i've seen for ukraine comparatively is much Correct. much higher and um you know it begs the question why I mean, I think we know the answer why, and it has very much to do with the conversation we're having is, and even Evan had brought up the point he had heard someone say, it's just so rare to see, someone had said, it's so rare to see um, a white 
a group of white people uh, attacking another group of white people. And so there's something that people respond to differently when they see two groups of white people in conflict versus a group of Africans in conflict versus a group of Middle Eastern people in conflict versus a group of Asians in conflict versus a group of Muslim people in conflict, which could fall into any of the aforementioned areas. There, It kicks up something different. And it's very telling right now. And it's really bothering me. Okay. Now, I say this all too to say, I am praying for the the people of Ukraine. Yes. I am devastated as to what's happening there. And um, I'm praying for the people of Russia too because I know that they're even – some of them are sacrificing their own lives yeah. because they know that it's evil. And, and most they of them recognize, are not on board. That's right. And they recognize that, that this is madness. Um, so I say all that saying I, of course, I want justice and I want peace and I want protection for, for the people of Ukraine. But I also think – you can't watch what's happening right now on the world stage and even the international response that this is having and not compare it to events of the last even 30 years with conflicts all over the world mm -hmm. with people, groups of color, and how different the international community tends to respond. So here's what we would love for you to do rate review subscribe and tell us how much you love us because we are just so lovable <laughs> so lovable but it actually does make a difference and it does help people find this podcast if you like this podcast and you care about not only but also you know if you drop a little line there on apple podcasts and give us a little review it actually means something it does and on facebook on instagram and on any of these kinds of things listen if we in any way have helped you see the both and better, let other people know so they too can see more clearly. We are Noba Podcast everywhere. Thank you.